Uh, we like to do profiles on Sunday morning. We're interested in the whole of our lives, not just Sunday morning church, but God connects with 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, he's interested in our lives and our working lives. And I've asked Ricky Glenny to come forward this morning, and uh, she's going to be our profile today. Let's welcome Ricky. Great, so you've got your mic. Great, if you go over, over there so everyone can not hide behind me. Come forwards, don't be nervous, they don't eat you. Uh, what work do you do, Ricky? So I'm a caseloading midwife. A caseloading midwife. What's a, what's a caseloading midwife? So that means that, that I look after uh, a small group of women uh, with five colleagues, so there's six of us. And we do all the care from when they first find out they are pregnant. We do their visits mainly at home. And uh, we attend their births at home, a third of them at home, some in hospital, or some have cesareans. And then we'll do the care afterwards for about a month. Okay. Now, it's great to celebrate with one another. And uh, hopefully I'll suitably embarrass Ricky. There was uh, uh, a national award. She won Midwife of the Year at an awards thing nationally and then recently she's run, been the runner-up in an international midwife's awards so bigger round of applause fantastic so what would a working day look like for you so I mainly live with my pager which um, Paul understands very well because he used to live with a pager so that means I'm um, four, three or four days a week. I'm on call 24-7 for anyone who is in labor to call me. So you often see me here in church with a bag and a telephone, a very old-fashioned one, to look at in case it goes off because then I'm running off to deliver a baby. But uh, nine to five, I do my visits. So I might do pregnancy checkups or I might do baby care. Okay, what particularly good things have you experienced at work? Any one or two really good things you've experienced? I think one of the things I love most is uh, when I meet mums who I've seen maybe through one or two or three pregnancies. And then probably the very best thing I see is when after a long labor, the parents meet the child for the very first time and what you see in the eyes of the parents is something you never ever see under any other circumstances. It's not relief that the pain has finished, it's actually the joy, the immense joy of meeting that child. Okay, that's wonderful. And then maybe what have the, the, been the most difficult things you've experienced at work? I think we see a lot of inequality and a lot of pain, um, especially in London, but maybe, you know, it's in other cities as well. I go to houses, you know, which are really affluent in SE22, but I also go to homes which I can't call a home, you know, which are infested with mice and damp, you know, and uh, the rain comes through the roof. And it's actually a very sad thing to see that in the very same city, you know, we've got that inequality. Well, you see that day to day. We do yeah. see that day to day. And how does your faith help you at work? How does your faith connect with work? Any examples of, of that? 
Well, my work is very unpredictable, and there is only so much you can do as a human, but you can pray. And I do think that um, many times when I race down my hill, I live on top of a hill, uh, to a birth, you know, uh, a prayer goes up for that mum and baby couple, you know, that God would be with them and bless them, and that he would help me, you know, to make wise decisions, because uh, life does depend on it, especially when you are away from a hospital, you know, and in a home setting where it is quite a long time till you actually get to a hospital should it be needed. Great. You delivered our daughter, who's 28 now, nearly. Um, how many births have you been involved with, do you think? Any, that I can't tell ideas? you. Many. <laughs> Too many, okay. It's about 40 a year at the moment in the way I work, but I've only worked uh, like that in the last 12 years or so. Great, and how can we pray for you? Well, strength, wisdom, <laughs> understanding, and I'm also a little bit involved in the way midwifery is evolving at the moment because um, the government wants to experience many uh, women the care which a few receive now in King's. So within King's at the moment, 20% of women receive that sort of caseloading care. But there is government uh, targets at the moment that by 2022, half of all the population would receive that sort of care. And that's obviously not very easy to get into hospitals, especially where there is no continuity in some hospitals. And I think it does take a lot of wisdom from the commissioners and uh, the bosses within the hospitals to see that through, because obviously change is always hard. And that's the kind of thing where take the best care, want to expand from 20 to 50% with no money, probably. But that's, that, that's in Kings. Yeah. Other, yeah. other areas is from 0 to 50%. Wow. And it is cheaper. Like That sort of work saves mums and babies' lives. Uh, the section rate is nearly a third in this country. If you work in the way I do, it's probably 17%, which is still too high, but a lot lower. So it would be really a lot cheaper but commissioners only see is there reduction in beds in hospital, and if there isn't, uh, then it's not seen as uh, worth doing. But at the moment, the government is behind this, you know, and it's just for the local authorities to see it through as well, and it does need a lot of wisdom. Great. Why don't you come forward? Can I have someone to pray for Ricky, please, who'd like to lead us in prayer? An ex-midwife. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you work through Ricky, for the way that you represent your kingdom through her, uh, through our whole life, and through the way that she works as a midwife. And Lord, I want to pray for your continued blessing on her as she tries to um, share her wisdom with people who make very significant decisions about the way things are run in this country, but also as she works with with individual couples and individual mothers um, as they bring their little ones into this world. Lord Jesus, I, I pray for your blessing to be on her and I pray that she would minister your goodness and your love and your grace every day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ricky. Good. Well, it's great to celebrate Advent together uh, on the 1st of December. 
Uh, It's really good to be in this season thinking of Advent, arrival, uh, the coming, Jesus coming as God in human form, God incarnate. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate this season. And I really want to pray that in this season, it won't just be remembering what happened 2,000 years ago, but there'll be a sense, not just of all the, the trimmings and trappings of Christmas, but a sense of Can we sense Jesus drawing near to us right now in this season, in this room this morning, but throughout this month? It'd be wonderful to have that Advent, a current experience of Advent, Jesus coming close to our hearts. And as Luke was saying in the worship, we're also anticipating not his first coming as a baby born and laid in a manger, but coming as king to rule and reign, to bring in a new era, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness reigns. And we want to be those people that are longing for that and anticipating that and praying for his coming there. Our series in in this month is Light from Luke. We're looking at Luke's gospel. And I heard a great thing. How many of you got Advent calendars? How many chocoholics here? Um, There's 24 chapters in Luke. And someone said, why don't you read a chapter a day? for Advent and then come here on Christmas morning. So a great thing to do. So have a chocolate, uh, but have a chapter of Luke a day and just read the story of the birth of Christ, but then through his life in this season of Advent and Christmas. want to look at some characters of the Christmas story the next uh, two or three weeks. And uh, in any story, there's a dramatis personae, who are the characters. And by way of introduction, I'm fascinated by names. And uh, I don't know how much those guys have got to do uh, with the Christmas story, but I was interested in the names of their children and grandchildren. Anyone know Boris Johnson's names of his four children with Marina? Horace, Doris, Boris, and... Or Forrest? No, Morris. Any advance on that? Well, Boris and Marina's four children are called Theodore Apollo... Cassia Peaches, Milo Arthur, and Lara Lettuce. Even more reason to pray for his children. And Nicky Gumbel has got fairly standard named children, but his his three eldest grandchildren, the first one's called Brave Elijah Fire Nicky Peace Ocean. His second grandchild is called Freedom Justice Wildfire Corrie Tabitha Love, and that's not Sam Corrie, that's Corrie Ten Boom. Actually, I need to pray for Sam. He's, uh, you know, he's working in Brighton now. He didn't realize the trains weren't working, so to get to work, to get to church, he had to get a rail replacement. The car broke down yesterday, he had to get a rail replacement bus, and then get, but I'm, I'm sure he's there, and Melissa thought he'd probably get there sooner than she got here with two kids, so it's all right. And then the third uh, Nicky Gumbel grandchild is passion, Daniel Fire, equality, Colby kindness. So very creative names these days. And there's, uh, if you know the story of Alpha and the kind of things that Nicky Gumbel preaches on, you can see reasons behind those names. But in the Christmas story, four characters I want to mention today. Um, Next one. First is Zachariah. Who's Zachariah? The priest, and we know that Zachariah and his wife are going to have a child. What does Zachariah mean? What does Zachariah mean? 
means God remembers. And maybe he thought God had forgotten him. He's an old man, he's childless, he has a role as a priest, but he could be lost in the crowd of 18,000 priests. Maybe he thought God had forgotten him, but his name means God remembers. And when God remembers, it doesn't just mean you forgot about Pete, Alexin, and suddenly, oh yeah, there's Pete. When God remembers, he usually comes and acts and does something in our lives and moves and makes a difference and makes a change. And that's what we're going to see at Christmas time through this story. Elizabeth, what does Elizabeth mean? Yeah, it's good. Promise. Uh, we're not 100% sure, but the idea of God is my fortune or God has promised is probably meaning of Elizabeth. And there are promises from God we're going to look at. What does Gabriel mean? Doesn't mean angel. He was an angel. Actually, confuse you, it means man of God. Uh, so he's an angel, but he's a man of God. And we don't know for sure, but uh, some people reckon maybe he's one of the four angels that stand in the very presence of God. Or some other people say one of the seven angels that stand in the very presence of God. So a key person. And then John. What does John mean? Made by God? Loved by God? Um, again, I'm not sure. I don't think they know 100%. But the idea of God being gracious, God has been gracious is the name of John. So those are the characters we're particularly looking at today. And the start of the story, I'll just read again. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So that's how the story starts. And we've got an intertwined narrative in Luke's gospel. Luke 1 and 2. In Luke 1, we hear about the birth of John. In Luke 2, we hear about the birth of Jesus. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. In Luke 1, later on, the Gabriel appears to Mary, as you know. We're going to look at that next week. Gabriel prophesizes that John will be born and the kind of work that he'll do as a forerunner to the Lord, and Gabriel prophesies to Mary about Jesus' birth, coming as the saviour of the world. There are miraculous births. Elizabeth and John are infertile and too old. Mary was a virgin, but two miraculous births will take place. And there's divine initiative. God intervenes to bring about the birth of John against all the odds, and then God supremely intervenes in our world with the birth of Jesus conception by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Son of God, taking on human flesh and dwelling among us, God's intervention. And there's a confirmatory sign in both of the stories. Zechariah would be struck dumb until John was born, and Mary would know that she was going to have a child because her relative, Elizabeth, would be pregnant. So there's two confirmatory signs. And it's worth studying these accounts rather than just kind of drifting past you in a carol service. Let's look and dig into God's word and see what he's saying. What can we learn rather than familiarity breeding contempt? What can we learn from these stories? And the first thing when you study Zechariah and what happened here in Luke 1 is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lots according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice at his birth. And one thing to learn from the Advent story, one thing to learn in this Christmas season is the priority of prayer. And prayer seems to be at the start Uh, at the spark of every major move of God. You can read about groups praying together. The history of revivals is of prayer movements, prayer groups, maybe just one person gathering a few people around them and really praying and seeking God. And that's obviously the start and the birth of many, many moves of God. Out of that prayer, God moves in powerful ways. And probably uh, the church has grown the most and had the most impact is the Pentecostal church, Pentecostal charismatic church over the last century. And there are a few sparks you can trace it back to, but one of them that's often pointed out is in 1906 in a very uh, primitive rundown chapel in a place called Azusa Street in Los Angeles. There was a multilacial congregation led by a black preacher, William Seymour. That's unusual for the time, a multiracial congregation led by a black preacher. And he was the son of a slave. He prayed and sought God, and the power of the Holy Spirit came. And that was part of the revival that broke out at the beginning of the 20th century. And you look at the Welsh revival at a similar time, the Hebridean revival, revivals in India, Korea, and all around the world. The spark is prayer. And in this major move of God where he's going to come in human form and take the story of salvation to a whole new level, embrace not just the people in Israel, but the whole world with his love. Prayer is at the start of it, and prayer is prioritized. It says that they were, uh, in from the previous slide, in a priestly family, and Elizabeth and Zachariah practiced their faith as best they could, and I'm sure that involved prayer. It also says back in verse 7 that they were childless. And the fact that you seek to live a godly life doesn't guarantee everything will go well for you. But they were people committed to God and committed to prayer. And then Zechariah was chosen. He was on duty. He was chosen to go into the holy place and pray. And there's about 18,000 priests probably, and they drew lots. I don't know how they did it exactly, but it fell to him. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place of God. You could do it once, and then you weren't able to be in the, the draw after that. So he was there. And it says that he went to burn incense. And what's incense a symbol of? Prayer. So the incense speaks not just of a nice smell, uh, not just if you like that style of worship, but it's a symbol of prayer. And there's a number of references to that right way in the, later in the book of Revelation. One of them, Revelation 5, 8. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers 
of God's people. And Zechariah would have uh, put the incense on the heated altar and the incense would have begun to rise and then he would have prostrated himself down next to the altar of incense in prayer in the holy place. And so in this Advent season, we want to be a people of prayer, not rushing around like headless chickens, but to find the opportunity to be a people of prayer. And if we're a people of prayer, then we're paving the way for God to move in very, very powerful ways. So that's really, really important. In verse 10 as well, uh, it says that all the worshippers were outside praying. So he's there prostrated by the altar of incense, praying in the holy place. A whole crowd of worshippers are outside and they're praying as well. And apparently the prayer they may well have prayed is this. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of his people. That's what they were praying. And then in verse 13, God moves and says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And that idea of prayer being heard by God is saying your prayer has been heard and will be answered. So prayer is really, really crucial. What was he praying for? We don't know for sure. It doesn't say this is what he was praying for, but there's a clue in the answer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you're to give him the name John. So was he praying for a son? Maybe. That was the, the answer was a son. Was he praying for a son? I'm not sure, not 100% sure. They were both old, uh, they were infertile. Uh, had he continued to pray for a son? Was he taking his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to pray for a son? Maybe. But maybe even more than that, he was praying for blessing and salvation on the people of God. And he was that one priest in the holy place at this time, representing the nation in prayer. So maybe he was praying for even more significance than his own family, but praying for God's salvation to come on the nation. And I think he got two answers for the price of one. The saviour of the world was about to be born in the near future, and as part of God coming to save us, he would also have a son, and his son would have a key part in announcing God's purposes and the coming of the saviour. So maybe he was praying for a son, Maybe he was praying for salvation for the nation. I think he was praying a bigger prayer. But God said, yeah, I'm going to answer your big prayers for blessing on other people, for my power and protection to come to the nation. And in doing that, I'm going to give you and your family a part to play in the big thing I'm doing. And for me, I'm thinking perhaps I need to learn to pray bigger prayers. Do I only just lift up? situations immediately around me and pray for them. I think God cares about those things and that's important. But if I'm praying for justice and righteousness in society, if I'm hearing what Ricky shared of some babies being born in mansions and then quarter of a mile away some babies being born when there's only room for a, a bed and there's all sorts of creatures running around the room, that huge disparity if I'm praying for bigger things, maybe God's going to answer those prayers, but also bring blessing in my life and my family and help us to play a part in what he wants to do. And I think we need to learn from that. I visited a friend's church last Sunday, and I just noticed that in their uh, time, they, they stopped their days, Monday to Thursday, at church uh, at midday, 
and whatever staff or volunteers are around, they pray for revival in this nation each day, midday, at their church, whoever's around in that day. And that really struck me to think bigger, to think higher. And I think God wants us to, to pray big prayers, to want big change. But in doing that, I think he will also answer our prayers for the things that are really important to us personally, but help us to play a part in what he's doing. So prayer should be a priority. We should persevere in prayer. Maybe John had been praying for a son most of his adult life. And Jesus said this to us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, Luke 18, 1, to show them they should always pray and not give up. So Advent should be about prayer. And God wants to say, pray and don't give up. And it's easy to say that, and I certainly know that in theory. Uh, It's a challenge to do, isn't it, in practice. Uh, And often my default is I'll see what I can do first, see how I can sort out my situation, and then if I can't, maybe I'll pray later. And that's a real challenge. Uh, And sometimes when we're hit with a major difficulty, you just feel shell-shocked, you've heard some bad news, you've hit a wall, it's really painful and difficult, and you don't feel you can pray. But God is encouraging us to pray, and I find it encouraging to pray with other people. It's so good to gather together with others. I also find it encouraging that that it can be a struggle. And Zechariah here, uh, in verse 18 of Luke 1, Zechariah says to the angel, how can I be sure of what you're saying? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said to me, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, but they will come true at the appointed time. So this man of God who was praying and praying on behalf of the nation and in the holy place struggled to believe in his heart, but God still used him and God still worked through him and his family. So let's be at this season, in this season, into the new year, people of prayer. And I'm glad a number of you did the book group, How to Pray, Pete Gregg's book. And what can you do with that? You've had those sessions together, together with Sam. You've read that book. What's God stirring your heart to pray about? And then a huge theme is also promise and fulfillment, promise and fulfillment. I believe that God is working his purposes out, but sometimes there's, it's over the long term. Sometimes there's a big gap between hearing something from God and finding it happen in practice. Uh, God's people were in Egypt for 400 years in slavery before they got out. They were heading to the promised land. They went around the desert for 40 years before they got into the promised land. Later, they turned away from God and went to Egypt. They were in exile for 70 years, and then they came back to the promised land. And often there's gaps of hearing from God and sensing what God wants to do before you actually see it happen. And this is a kind of uh, interesting point in the Bible. We have the Old Testament that ends in Malachi. And then in terms of the canon of Scripture, the rule or authority of Scripture, there's 400 years silence between Malachi and the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. 400 years of silence. Not complete silence. We have the apocryphal books. I'm sure God was working and moving. But in terms of what's recorded in Scripture, in the canon or rule of Scripture, silence 
between the end of Malachi and the start of the New Testament. But then there's a breakthrough, there's a move of God. And Advent is a season of remembering the promises, but also beginning to experience the fulfillment. And Luke's gospel begins in verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. God promised to save the world. God promised to send a Messiah. They waited for centuries. There was silence for 400 years. But God still moved. And Jesus came the first time. And then the end of Luke's gospel, 24, 44, Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I'm still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So there's promise and fulfillment. What do you sense God has promised in our world? What do you sense God has promised to you personally? And have you seen it fulfilled yet? And I want to pray that in this season of Advent, moving into this new decade, the 20s, we've finally got a decade we can give a name to as a whole decade. As we move forward into the 20s, let's pray for fulfillment of God's promises. And things take time, but God does move. I remember God speaking to me, not as a a vision, no angel appeared, but just sensing in my head uh, when I was 16 that I was going to be a preacher. And that was a shock because I'd never been to church. Uh, So a big shock. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it. But eight years later... I began to train in ministry, and I've been in Christian ministry uh, ever since there. So there was uh, something from God, an eight-year gap, and then a fulfillment. We run things at the Here for Good Center on the high street. You can go to uh, Meeting Points, Rosemary's Group, or Youth Groups, or uh, the Christmas uh, Wonderful Craft uh, Sale next Saturday. Uh, we, We wanted a building to express the kingdom of God in this area. And uh, that building came up. Then we told another group had got it. We couldn't have it. Then we were told we weren't allowed to make an offer for it. The money wouldn't be available. But we just prayed. And after a couple of years, we've got that building. and We've been using it for many years for the kingdom of God. Hope Center in Forest Hill. Again, that building was just going to be sold. and, uh, And the money just put into another agency. And the property finished. And we prayed, and 10 years later, we're still there, and we still lease the building. And the food bank started there, and uh, you can talk to Gary afterwards about the food bank. But again, you feel God's heart is to feed hungry people. God's heart is to move in this world. He doesn't necessarily want food banks. He'd rather change in society so people didn't need food banks. But he wants hungry people fed. He wants people to be given time and care and prayer. And we prayed about that project and started it. And seven years later, we've never run out of food. We've probably fed 40,000 people. There's promise and fulfillment. And prayer is the key to holding those two things together. And time's running out. God's intervention is really important. When it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. 
Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. That's interesting, isn't it? Maybe not only was John uh, Zechariah struck dumb, but also deaf, because they made signs to him. And maybe he was in isolation because he didn't believe God's word. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And we want God to move. We want God to intervene. And God moves, and there's wonderful signs of the miraculous and the supernatural around when God's moving. An angel from the very presence of God, Gabriel, appears to Mary, appears to Zechariah. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she conceives the Lord Jesus and she sings out what's known as the Magnificat, that wonderful song of praise to God and for his deliverance. Elizabeth, when Mary meets Elizabeth, Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit and John, the baby in her womb, leaps with joy inside the womb. Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's going to do a wonderful prophecy now. There's supernatural signs, he's made dumb, And then he's healed. God moves in miraculous ways. We want to see that. We want to light a fire in prayer for a move of God. And we want to see signs of God moving in healing, in releasing prophecy, in releasing your creativity to bless the Father, to share words of knowledge with one another, to be renewed in your faith to expect God to heal and to change and to make a difference in this world. We want to see the supernatural activity of God happening in miraculous ways. And let's pray for that in this season of Advent. And then closing, Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, You can read the whole thing. I've just put a few of these verses, and he's talking particularly to his son. And you, my child, be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. I want to close with two things and one is advent season is about the message of salvation that's very clear here the message that john will bring was about the knowledge of salvation about god forgiving people's sins about a revelation of the tender mercy and love of god and we're called to be involved in that in the spirit of advent in the spirit of christmas we're called to to make salvation known to people It's a wonderful thing. Thinking back over this year, what have been highlights? What have been the joys? Uh, Someone like Patience, uh, when Paul said, what's the Alpha Course done for you? She said, change my life. People opening up their hearts to God and experiencing his love and his salvation. One of the absolute highlights of the year. And we want to be involved in that. Let people know that their sins can be forgiven and wiped clean. That God loves them. Uh, so much from his tender heart and compassionate heart. He's so uh, much love towards them and they're going to enjoy salvation and receive the gift of eternal life. That's wonderful.
And also there's something about children here as well. This is John's prophecy to his son that's been uh, born by the intervention of God. And our wonderful children, it was great to see them at the front here. They're usually making loads of noise over there. Uh, and they've gone out to, to get ready for our carol service and to learn more about the true meaning of Christmas. We want to see spirit-filled parents like Elizabeth and children right from the womb that are touched by the power of God. We want that for our children. Not just a bit of food and find the best school and put a roof over their heads, but to find life, eternal life, the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives from a young age will be such a wonderful thing. We want to keep praying that for our children. And like John the Baptist, our children will have a part to play in what God is doing in our nation and in the age to come. And we want blessing on our children. The child, John, grew and became strong, not just physically, but in the spirit. And my goodness me, we need children that are strong in the spirit to survive the pressures that they're under in, in the life and to, to be the people that God wants them to be and to play their part in God's eternal purposes. They need to be strong in spirit. And so we need to be a people of prayer. And in this Advent season, let's put this on the agenda. Blessing of children, message of salvation, the priority of prayer, God fulfilling his promises, let them be on the agenda. I don't know about you, but going around the area, it's like they want to try and raise Christmas from, from everything. So you go past schools and whatever, it's a holly fair, or a frost fair, I don't know what your school does, Hannah, or a winterval. Every, I've, I've been past so many places where they put nothing about Christmas up there. And uh, our daughter's uh, a TA in a school, and one of the teachers has written a whole new uh, series of songs for this season. And they're very good at a school at celebrating various different religion uh, and their festivals during the year, but they're not allowed to celebrate Christmas as such. And she's happened to teach the, the children's songs like Santa's Shark, written by one of the teachers. It's probably a terrible song, but what on earth is that? I don't know how they get Santa's Shark into what should be celebrated at this season. But the odds are stacked and seemingly more and more stacked against us. But God comes through in miraculous and wonderful ways. If we prioritize prayer, if we read his word and look for his promises, if we pray for them to be fulfilled if we want our children to be filled and strengthened in the spirit if we're willing to share the good news of salvation with others then we can believe that god's going to work and god's going to move let's stand together thank you lord jesus thank you lord perhaps we could have some worship luke thank you lord we thank you that you want us to be inspired by what you're doing Thank you that there's so much goodness and blessing in the heart of God that we can experience in the Holy Spirit. Thank you we've got good news of great joy. And Lord, we ask you to inspire us to be a people of prayer. Help us to look for and to believe for your Holy Spirit to move in power. Help us to rejoice at men and women and children finding eternal life, new life in you. Lord, come and do it by your spirit. Thank you, Lord.